And I want to just encourage us that even though it can't be too much of a good thing uh, this time of year, this is the start of the, on the historic Christian calendar, the season of Advent. And Advent uh, is a yearning for and anticipating the Advent, the arrival of Jesus, of King Jesus. It's the, the time of the year where we, starting today and through the 25th, where we mark and we celebrate the arrival of King Jesus and his birth uh, in Bethlehem. And, and, and the nearness of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus in our hearts every day. Close, personal interaction that we have with Jesus. That arrival, that when we take that moment to be more conscious of God than anything else. There's this arrival of King Jesus in our hearts every day. And it's also a looking forward to when King Jesus will return. It's that anticipating, that yearning for that arrival, that eventual arrival, the culmination of all of human history when King Jesus will return. And so what do we want to do on these Sundays between now and the 25th is to look at a different, every Sunday, look at a unique characteristic of King Jesus to give us from the scriptures something to look to every day. Some truth that we can be reflecting on in the Advent season every day. Something we can, we can look to, to think about the reality of who Jesus is, what Jesus is like. Because that matters. What is Jesus like? And every Sunday, we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of the message, because in every characteristic of Jesus, we'll see a contrast with, in ourselves maybe, but definitely within our world, that needs more of Jesus. Where there are attributes that are broken, there are things that we are yearning for, we're yearning to see more of Jesus, we're yearning to see our world and ourselves change. And so every Sunday, the person who leads communion is going to wrap up the message in a time of prayer. This is a, a unique approach for us. And so this morning, I want to, as a big thank you to the worship team, everyone who served this morning, especially on this holiday weekend, um, and Chris, and we close with that song, looking to Jesus as a humble king who we want to be more like. And, Joe referencing that even, even in communion. So let's start, as you know, one of my favorite passages with Philippians chapter 2. First 11 verses we're going to pull from the CSB uh, for the most part this morning. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, 
existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every man, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The humble king arrives. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, in humility. What is it that the people who saw him were yearning for that the Messiah, that the Savior would be? What were they yearning for? What were they looking for? What were the people who saw him, who heard him? What did they find him to be like? Well, clearly, in Philippians 2, we get the picture that a humility was a characteristic of King Jesus. And this is important because of who Jesus is. And then Philippians 2 talks a little bit about this. You know that two things can be true at once. Two things that seem maybe contradictory. Two things that maybe seem intention. See, there's two things about King Jesus that are true at once. One is that he chose a humble birth, life, and death. But also that King Jesus was superior. He was great, the greatest. So these two things, this greatness of who Jesus is and the humility of Jesus, which seem maybe in contradiction or intention with those two things are true at the same time. Let's look at this Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, about the superiority, the greatness of King Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, we saw God in human form, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him. Think about that John 1, right? Through Jesus, God created. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Anything that is looked to as an authority will be inferior, subservient to, servant to King Jesus. He is before all things, and by Him all things are held together. Whoa. That, that's, that's a big statement. He holds everything together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is our leader. He is at the head. He is the brains of the operation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. The resurrection of Jesus, he is the first, the most important, the most valuable, the leader of the resurrection from the dead and victory over death. 
For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Father God, in this mystery of the Trinity, all the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus. Two things true at once, superior and humble. And through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. The new covenant, salvation, these things are made available through the humble King Jesus. Superior, and yet He chose to be born in a gracious humility. His life was humble, His death was humble. Despite this superiority. So the one thing we learned is that King Jesus chose a humble birth, death, and life. The second thing that we can learn is uh, that King Jesus is our best example of gracious humility. I was going to read from the Christmas story, the, the uh, passage from Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20, which also points to those two things being true once, but for the sake of time, we're going to skip ahead. So King Jesus is our best example of gracious humility. It's important when someone describes themselves to you, it's important to listen. Jesus described himself as being humble and gentle of heart. His followers, the writers, they didn't make this up. Jesus described himself as humble and gentle in heart. He described his purpose in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this, Jesus, uh, William Lane writes about this verse, Jesus is referring to the reversal, the upending, the, the bringing upside down, the reversal of all our human ideas of greatness and rank. Jesus says, I came to serve. Not to be served. He describes himself as humble. Jesus explains how he fulfilled prophecy in Micah about being their shepherd, servant, leader. In ways where he's showing this self-sacrificing, gracious humility. Jesus describes this about himself. He gives them an example of this. What do we mean? When we say gracious humility. Let's just talk about the words we're using here. So gracious is pleasantly kind, benevolent, generously giving good to others, regardless of if it's deserved or not. Jesus had already received from God, already was in God, all that he would ever need. He didn't have lack. He didn't have insecurity. He didn't have uh, self-deprecating. He, he was... He was full, he was complete, he was overflowing in love. And when we think about this in, in how we want to be as Jesus followers modeling this, what's important is that we have received a fullness from God. That we're not doing things out of a motivation because we have lack. I need to feel better about myself. I need to prove something about myself. That in, in serving on a Sunday or in your neighborhood or in your home, that we're not doing something out of that kind of a motivation. But there's a gracious, there is a God has already given me his best. God has already filled me to an overflowing. There's a graciousness about it. So Jesus is a gracious and then a humility. Just 
looking at what the scripture says and looking at the de- definition of humble, modest, not proud, arrogant, or self-serving, in a healthy, balanced state of understanding who you are, understanding who God is, and how you should relate to others with loving respect and deference. The humility is not a, I'm crushing myself. Humility is through confession of my wrong, repenting of my wrong, turning away from it. I'm not looking to satisfy myself. No, I've found satisfaction in God. And from God, I've learned about who I am. I've learned about who God is. And I've learned about who other people are. So when we put these ideas about gracious humility together, here's what I'm trying to say. Having received undeserved new spiritual life and love from God through Jesus, we now give other people heartfelt, loving respect out of our devotion to King Jesus. Well, what do we see that kind of helps us a little understand this a little bit more? Maybe the kids in the room can help me with this. Parents, I apologize in advance if this isn't helpful. If we contrast gracious humility, we might contrast it with what? Pride? A confidence and satisfaction in oneself, an exaggerated self-esteem. Let's look at some examples of that. Uh, the know-it-all in the office dismisses other people's ideas, or always boasting about yourself and not recognizing the team, or who's this? Thanos. What is what is Thanos about? Anybody? It's his way or the highway. Going to snap and eliminate half of humanity. Um, who's this? Gaston. How would you describe Gaston? Narcissist, selfish. <laughs> Anyone else, girls? What, what would? How would you describe Gaston? Evil, yeah, yeah. So he would say, "I love me some me," right? Uh, anybody recognize this duo? Pinky and the Brain. What is it that, 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 that Pinky says? What are we gonna do today, Brain? Same thing we do every day. Going to take over the world. <laughs> the Brain thinks that he's got it all figured out and how things should go forward. Anybody know this guy? Doofum Schmertz, Professor Doofum Schmertz, what is he always trying to do? Destroy the world. Yes, he's destroying our world. Doofum Schmertz thinks he's got it all figured out. His way is the best way, right? The Bible says that pride leads to destruction. A proud attitude brings ruin. <laughs> Maybe one of your holidays movies is The Princess Bride, which is a great book, by the way. Uh, we see on the left Princess Humperdinck. Pr- Prince Humperdinck, who wants everything his way, including the princess, right? And, and I don't think we have a lot of Prince Humperdinks in the room, but I think maybe in the other three, we might find ourselves where there is a struggle with the reality of life and a struggle in, in finding ourselves and who we are. Um, but also struggle in navigating life with some gracious humility. It's not easy. Jonathan Edwards wrote this, 
Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. Romans 12.3 says this, Because God has given me a special gift, I have something to say to everyone among you. Do not think you are better than you are. You must decide what you really are by the amount of faith that God has given you. I'm thankful for the 4th century um, Christian leader. Um, oh, sorry, this is John Stott first, out of order. At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Think about humility in this balance of having a good, honest view of who I am, and then an honest view of who other people are, forces that are greater than me, and the other people in the story. I do also think of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> so, King Jesus chose a humble birth, life, and death. King Jesus is our best example of gracious humility. King Jesus taught us to serve each other with gracious humility. Think about the washing of feet. Think about he follows that by teaching them to do the same. John 13. John 4. He sits with the Samaritan woman at the well, and then he teaches his followers to operate with the same gracious humility. Matthew 19, he sits with the children in ways that show his gracious humility, and then he teaches his followers to do the same. In Luke 11, in his prayer of praising Father God, he teaches them to pray and do life in the same way. In Mark 10, 42-45, Jesus describes himself as a serving leader, and he taught the disciples to follow his example of serving leadership. Servant leadership is the Jesus way, the way forward. I'm thankful for the 4th century African theologian, Marius Victorinus, who um, was a Roman teacher and scholar who translated the works of Plato and Aristotle for the people of his day, and then found late in life salvation from Jesus and wrote extensively um, about the Pauline epistles. He said this on this subject. If we think only of ourselves, we may act for our own benefit and bother only with our own affairs, our hope, and our deliverance. But this is not enough. We are truly acting for ourselves if we also have a concern for others and strive to be of benefit to them. For since we are all one body, we look out for ourselves when we look out for others. But this is good news. <laughs> A part of our Thanksgiving weekend tradition is watching the movie Elf. Mm-hmm. And think about his interactions with other people and his learning humility, learning about who he is, learning about forces that are beyond himself, and navigating even in painful family relationships how to treat others with a gracious humility. When I think about gracious humility and examples of it, I also think about this guy. Yeah. I've seen Chris in 
interactions with people that are challenging. And what I have observed is this same kind of, I'm not destroyed or insecure in myself. I found in Jesus my identity. I received from Jesus more than enough. And so even in interactions that are challenging, I'm graciously humble and show others a loving respect. Think about what they believed. God is gracious to the humble. Proverbs 3.34 So James, who pastored the Jerusalem church, brought them back to that. Chapter 5, 5 through 6, in saying, Be humble under God's powerful hand, so he will lift you up when the right time comes. That's what gracious humility looks like. So, just real quick, what should we do? And then, Joe, if you'll come and be prepared to lead us in the prayer. Read some of today's scriptures this week. And look for a clearer picture of King Jesus. And I would invite you to do an exercise. Write your own definition for gracious humility. And your own description. In your own words, how would you describe our King Jesus? Pray. Ask God to help you become more like King Jesus. Write a prayer topic list of how our world can become more like King Jesus.